that I have been wanting to put together forever but have totally been procrastinating on and I think it's just for the obvious reason that like you know we never want to like revisit our traumas or like you know revisit um things that like we have deemed bad or like whatever like in our past but this is one that I've really been wanting to talk about I've talked about it previously but I've been wanting to do a solo show about it so here is my journey with I mean overall food but um to really give it like a title or to put it in a category it would be you know getting coming to terms getting diagnosed with binge eating disorder and um what my life was like before that leading up to that and the recovery process and where I'm at now. So this journey began um, of like becoming aware and getting a diagnosis, getting a name to it, realizing that I had an eating disorder when I was 23. Yes, yes. And now I'm 26. So this is about three years into the recovery journey. I do consider myself recovered. I am so, I, I can't even believe it. Like, I can't even believe that I'm saying that because, you know, before I even knew that, like, I had an eating disorder, I could tell I, I was eating more than I, you know, wanted to. And I remember thinking to myself, and it's not just eating more. I Like, we're going to, you know, cut and chop into this really nice. But it was like eating to the point where I was sick. Eating to the point where, you know, I would become so sick. I would fantasize about throwing up. Like, anyway, so leading up into gaining awareness around it, I remember thinking to myself, like, this will never get better. Like, I will never, ever, ever be able to heal something like this. Okay, so without further ado, from the top, make it drop. That's a wet-ass pussy. You know, it's an explicit podcast. So growing up, um, I analyzing my relationship with food, this is, again, this is all, like, specific to my experience. So I grew up with foreign parents, and um, I also grew up in a low, from a low socioeconomic background. So we never, ever, 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 ever ate out, ever. My mom is also a fantastic cook. Like, she's never been to cooking school or to, like, chef, but the way she cooks is, it's unbelievable. Like, anyone who has ever ate from her food knows that she can literally make something out of nothing there could be scraps in the kitchen like some random pasta and like some random like vegetable and she will like season it up and just create a fucking masterpiece so my mom always um cooked at home and i'm from long island new york and you know in long island and you know in in new york for the most part and i would even argue in america for the most part it's so normal and it's so casual to just like eat out oh we're eating out tonight oh we're eating out tonight and that just never was a thing for me until like i think until i hit like middle school and my mom would always pack my lunches like i would never um you know buy lunch in school and um i remember towards fifth grade that's when my parents divorced. It was in 2006. I was 11. 
And they basically split after my fifth grade graduation, after I finished elementary school. But that last year um, was when, you know, things were always like very shaky at home, very volatile, lots of screaming and fighting. Like I would kind of describe it just as like fireworks at home all the time. Not the fun kinds, the kinds that you want to just like hide under the covers and, uh, you know, shove your head under a blanket. And when I was in fifth grade, everything came to a head. And that's when they started to openly talk about, okay, I think it's better if we split. Like, you take this, I take that. And um, my mom started working. So I started buying school lunch. And I remember, like, having money in my hand and seeing, like, all the fucking snacks. And, like, I've never had, like, cosmic brownies before or, like, oatmeal cookie sandwiches and stuff like that. Or at least I didn't have the liberty to ever, like, just walk in to a concession stand and buy it myself. So I remember in fifth grade, that's a profound or not profound, but, like, a particular memory that I have of, like, basically having access to that stuff. And I gained a lot of weight that year, actually. I remember I just I would eat. I I could, like, it was it was just binges. Um, anyway, so the relationship with food growing up, I always have been, have been like an eater. Like I've always had an affinity towards food. Um, I'm sure like genetics play a role in this. I'm not a medical doctor. So again, take everything I say is just like my experience with it growing up. But, um, yeah, like this girl grew up eating. Like you can ask my dad, even when I was like three years old, my dad was like, yo, you had an appetite. Like you would be eating like chicken legs. Like I just, I've always had an appetite. And as I grew up and as things within the home became more shaky, I, you know, I think I used food as like kind of like a pleasure seeking outlet. They're just my my pleasure needs or whatever they just weren't being met things were so volatile at home I needed something to numb out on things were so unstable and um, without noticing I probably within the midst of that you know develops a binge eating disorder and it looks different for everybody like I personally did not purge so it's very common for folks with binge eating disorder to binge purge and then restrict and then repeat the cycle, binge, purge, restrict. The only reason that I didn't purge personally is because I genuinely fucking hate throwing up. Like, I think I've literally thrown up in my life. I remember once when I was in elementary school from a, going on this crazy roller coaster 10 times in a row, I like fucking loved it. And then um, I had food poisoning in Thailand. Like, I do not throw up. I've never thrown up from drinking. I fucking hate throwing up so I personally did not purge I have one other friend um she was in on an episode we collaborated together she also had is a recovering from binge eating disorder and um she also did not purge because of the same reasons when I asked her why she was like I can't explain it how much I fucking hate it and I feel the same way like I am the type that after I threw up I'm probably crying like I just hate it so much so I did not purge However, purging is very common. Anyway, um, throughout my life, I had, you know, restrictive relationships with food. I like lost a lot of weight when I was in high school. And I don't want to say that I was like exhibiting, you know, anorexia, but maybe someone can say that. But I basically was on the swim team. I did not eat a lot while I was like in school during the day. And then I would go, I would have breakfast, not eat a lot during school. And then I would go swim 
for like two hours. Like it was a very competitive or very uh, like tiring um, training schedule. Like I wasn't getting my period in season. And then I would come home with like a wild appetite and I would just fucking, you know, eat a ton. And um, I had lost a lot of weight in high school. I remember that being like just watching myself yo-yo, like lose a ton of weight and then pack it back on, lose a ton of weight, pack it back on. So it was like there were these like restrictive binging, like micro patterns of just like throughout the week. And then like when I zoom out and look at the overall, you know, line over years and years, I yo-yoed like in a big picture as well. Like freshman year, I was very thin and then sophomore year, I packed it back on and then junior year was like whatever. And then senior year, I like dropped it again. Like, it, you know, over the big picture, there was also a lot of yo-yoing. So to get meta for a second. Anyway, I really want to just fast forward to like my diagnosis. So my 23rd year of life, I was living in New York City and I was working at a really incredible fitness facility called Mark Fisher Fitness in um, Hell's Kitchen, which is a neighborhood in Midtown in Manhattan in New York City, close to like Times Square. And um, this is when I realized that I like had a problem. So I, you know, developed a vocal injury. Uh, My dad became very, very sick. I was super isolated because of my vocal injury. I was teaching at work, so I couldn't really talk outside of work, and I really wanted to keep the job. So I basically was on vocal rest for like nine months outside of my job, which is like not going out on weekends, not hanging out with friends, not being on the phone. I don't know how I did it. Don't ask. I'll never do that again to myself. I'll never self-abandon that way again. But um, it was just a really bad year. I did not like my housing situation. I just, it was, I did, looking back, I just did not know what the fuck I was doing. I was just very eager, very addicted to work, like deep, balls deep in my work addiction, totally unaware of that. And um, I was in a weird place with dance. Like for anyone who knows, dance was like my main art form. Um my dad like almost did pass away so even though he was alive i was grieving him because we really did think he was going to pass and it was just such a heavy year and then to cap it all off one of my former co-workers uh god rest his soul like super tragically died like was 39 or maybe 40 or 41 but very young um and he died in a very tragic way and that week the week of his passing there was just a lot of emotions um at my job within my coworkers. like I only worked with him for like three four months but my coworkers who were there had worked with him for like eight nine years like he really was an OG uh member of the team and you know so it was a lot of feelings and I didn't know how to cope with these feelings So I remember that week, every single night, I came home and I just ran to the kitchen after coming home from work and I would binge so much to the point where I would get so sick and I would lay in my bed and I would just fantasize about purging 
just to make my stomach feel better and because I had like work in the morning so I could actually fall asleep. I would like lay in bed after, you know, like a gnarly binge episode and it's like you black out. It's like you just black out and you fucking binge and then all of a sudden you're done and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, oh my God, like I ate all of this. I feel so sick now. And I would just like lay there and be like, oh, like, should I just throw up? Like, I should just throw up so I could actually fall asleep. Like, it was to the point where I was sick. And um, I actually was seeing a therapist. I've been in therapy since I was 19, but I've had to change therapists because, you know, Zoom wasn't much of a thing or like telehealth wasn't much of a thing in therapy at the time. And I was living in upstate and then I moved to New York City. So like I needed a new therapist. This therapist who I found, she was fucking fantastic. Young too. And it's like young professionals always get shit on. She helped me. Like I will always be indebted to her for this. So she actually specialized in eating disorders. And I I didn't go to her for that. I didn't even know. I, I saw that it was her specialty when I was reading her profile. I did not think too literally did not think anything of it I just went to her because her location was good she was qualified and mainly because she took my insurance I was like any therapist who took my insurance I just was like I'm going there so lucky for me she did specialize in eating disorders and I was telling her about like my behavior and I just was like I can't like stop eating like I'm getting really sick like my stomach hurts and you know by sick I just mean stomach issues not like a cold or anything like that and (laughs) she was like um I have a couple of books that I would like to recommend to you I told her like I really like reading I really like resources I really like information and she was like great like I have these these two books that I recommend for you one was overcoming binge eating and I don't remember the other one and she was like why don't you just like go into Barnes and Nobles and pick these up so I get to Barnes and Nobles and I'm like, hi, like, I'm not really shy about, you know, going to like, pick up this book. And I'm like, hi, Um, just very openly, like, I'm looking for these two books, Overcoming Binge Eating and whatever the other one was. And they're like, oh, yes, it's in the psychology section under eating disorders. And in my mind, I was like, but I don't have an eating disorder. Anyway, I was like, whatever. So I went to the section psychology under eating disorders and I got to like the section with like the binge eating (sighs) wow I have always been like a big fan of Barnes and Nobles I've always just gone in there and just to get lost in like just the energy of knowledge and the energy of information and the energy of just that progressive curiosity I have never seen a section a book section resonate with me so much to the degree where it shook me I literally got there and I remember staring at the books and I just put my jacket down I put my bag down and I every single title resonated with me it was like I felt so seen but so shocked and so like what really like I'm so self-aware, like, how did I go this long without realizing? It was like a movie scene where, you know, there's like a close-up on a character and she starts hearing, like, all these voices of, like, people filling her head. It was like I was hearing all these titles on all these books just, like, shaking me to my core. I literally sat down and I just, 
I think I was there for an hour. I couldn't get up. I was like, oh my God, that resonates and that resonates and that, oh my God. Like I was naming these things that I didn't have a name for my entire life. So I was like, wow, oh my God, I have binge eating disorder. And, you know, it is a spectrum. And I also was able to read a lot of like um, literature, like research literature in regards to how underdiagnosed binge eating is. Like when someone is bulimic, it's a lot of times easier. There's just more telltale signs. Like, you know, it's it's abnormal. It's deemed so society has deemed it abnormal for someone to be like puking all the time or society has or like puking often or society has deemed it abnormal behavior for you know someone to be like so thin or like skip several meals but when it comes to binge eating it's not really deemed as abnormal behavior um so because of that binge eating disorder is like highly highly undiagnosed it's just it's just one of those eating disorders that um slip through the fingers of diagnosis and i don't have the pie chart in front of me but it was like a huge chunk of underdiagnosed um conditions was binge eating disorder so anyway that like obviously made me feel a lot better but i um went back to therapy and I was like, oh my God. And she was like, yeah. So I was like, within the midst of that, I had to, I moved back home to Long Island um, because my dad was like really hella sick. Like, and I needed to like leave the job that I was at. I needed to like handle my vocal health. I needed to get my fucking life back together. Um, I definitely was in the dark night of the soul. Like that year I explored for lack of a better term, like the deepest crevices of my mind. It was just such a dark time. And it was also a spiritual awakening. You know, we learn through pain and I learned so much about myself. I learned that I was so balls deep in self-abandonment. I was where I thought I should be, not where I my soul's calling was. And, you know, it was a really, really, really rough time. That being said, I would not be here in Los Angeles without that. Like, I would not have stepped into my soul's purpose of, you know, whatever it is. It's definitely something artistic. It's definitely something creative based. It's definitely something um, healing others through my art based. If it wasn't for, you know, that dark night of the soul of just like, Every I remember thinking to myself, and like I studied kinesiology, so fitness development in my undergrad, which is geared towards wellness. And I've taken like stress management courses just as a part of my curriculum. And I've seen like the the pie chart of life of like, what is it? It's like social, emotional, financial, physical health, like all those different pie charts. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, every single one is to shreds. Like I'm lucky at my you know, my best pals were still there supporting me, but it was tough for anyone to get through to me who was, you know, my friend, because what I was going through, it was just unique in the sense that like, who do you know who has had a vocal injury? A lot of people aren't good at comforting, you know, scenarios where a parent is very sick. Like it just was an incredibly isolating experience. And I, I just remember thinking like, wow, every area is to shit. And I think that was a result 
of how much I had self-abandoned. And I just was doing what I thought I should. And there's no shame in that. You know, life is an extremely challenging experience for the most of us. Um, And we all have good intentions, in my opinion. I I mean, most of us, you know, have good intentions. And we just want to be doing our best. We just want to be performing at our best. And I just was so busy doing what I thought I should, what I, where I thought I should be, how I thought I should be working. I had no boundaries at work. I could not say no to work. I thought if I turned work down, you know, I'd get fired or I'd be like less of value. And I just became like an overworked, miserable person. And that is when the eating disorder really came to a head. But anyway, this is just my long-winded way of saying that needed to happen. Like in order for this eating disorder to bubble to the surface and so many other things, which we're not going to touch on because this episode is just on the eating disorder, but so many things just of like the legacy I want to leave on the world, the people I want to be friends with, the ideologies that I actually want in my brain, um, the archetype that I actually want to be, those things would not have bubbled to the surface had it not been all of these other things coming to a head now it all coming to a head at once yes that was very tough but it has made me even more resilient and just in tune with myself in a way that like will never be as easily broken as it was at one time so back to the journey um okay where are we at i moved back home and I heard about Overeaters Anonymous. So OA is the same 12-step model as something like AA and as something like NA. So Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. We met every Wednesday at usually a library, like a public library. And I shit you not, I was the youngest fucking person there. I think the only other people there who were near my age, I was literally 24 at the time, were 30. Everyone, it was like a room full of 30 adults. There was me, the fetus. And then there was like three 30-year-olds and everyone else was literally 60 and 70 years old. And I I mean, I loved every moment of it. There was men, there was women. There were also people who were alcoholics or, you know, had a narcotic issue, uh, yes, narcotic usage issue, Um, but they liked OA's environment more than AA or NA, for example, and they would also come to our meetings. So it was just such a nice mix. But anyway, the point of me describing this is because food addiction is a thing. So that's when I started learning about process addiction. So process addiction is being addicted to a certain behavior so you can have process addiction to really anything but to name a few big ones it would be like video games retail like shopping um gambling pornography um what else i feel like i'm missing one like food addiction and i bought this book it's called the food addiction recovery workbook by caroline Coker, Ross, MD, MPH. Um, So it's called the Food Addiction Recovery Workbook, How to Manage Cravings, Reduce Stress, and Stop 
hating your body. And I like the workbook because, you know, there are prompts in it and she asks questions and you it helps you think. The way I would describe the book is that it rips you open, yes, but then it like patches you back up. So she'll have, um, you know, a paragraph where the whole beginning is about your caretaker and it's about what was it like at home? What kind of caretaker did you have? Were they Did they neglect you? Were they very overbearing? Were they um, abusive? Did you not have any, you know, et cetera? And then it's like, how was food used growing up? Was it used to comfort you? Did you not have enough? Like all these prompts. And, you know, you're like writing and you're like, oh my God. Or like, at least I was like, oh my God, like I can't believe like it was really like this growing up because there's so much denial for me. I never realized how much of, how much I denied um, a lot of the shit I went through growing up. Oh, it didn't hurt me. Like that was fine. Like the parents' divorce doesn't bother me. Like blah, 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 blah. And, um, I would feel ripped open after writing a prompt and then I would read like the next paragraph that she would write and she did such a good job being like and it's okay like whatever it was to the extent of something like whatever you wrote or whatever came up it's okay like it was so so well put together this book so that was a very incredible book for me that book is probably the pillar uh of my healing so anyway I went to OA for months And you get the 12 steps book as well, which again is the same 12 steps as AA and NA. And um, I'd never, I never identified as like an addict and it's exactly what it was. And I learned about like dopamine deficiency syndrome. I I may have butchered that, but it's something along the lines of that, which totally identify with like. I do not do anything without listening to music or without drinking coffee. And, you know, it was nice to learn about like chemicals in the brain and how they function and how you react to how to the levels um, within uh, of the chemistry within your brain. And I remember one time when I was in OA and this was another like profound moment for me. There was a woman in the corner. She like wasn't sitting in the circle. She just you know, I don't know what her deal was. She wanted to sit like outside the circle and we basically go around for like two minutes and we share. And, um, she identified as a compulsive exerciser. And I was like, Oh, I do that too. Like everything she said was resonating too. She was like, I'm so exhausted. I worked out yesterday. I worked out last night and I, really want to go again this morning but I just was like stop like you're just so tired so that was another thing that I had to kind of like chip away at and it was so healing like hearing everyone's stories and you know you would think that maybe I felt like an outsider because I was so much younger but it actually was I felt so heard by everyone and like obviously everyone thought it was like so adorable that I was there and shit which was kind of like all right come on but um it did feel, I felt how much they like looked at me as like a mirror to them and would say to me like, I wish I went when I was so much younger. Like I wish I was more aware when I was younger and stuff. And it's like, I'm so happy everyone was there now, but it also empowered me of like, wow, like it's okay that I was the only one there who was like a fucking youngin, you know, like it's okay. And um, just hearing their stories, hearing like, I remember, you know, just like things that were so relatable, even though 
so many of them were like 40, 30 years older than me. It Things like this, it still parallels. It's like universal laws, uh, the way that we struggle. It doesn't really change. It changes a little, but not the core of the struggle is still so similar. So it I, even though like these people had like, you know, fucking grandkids, it, it was so relatable for me and I just felt so normalized. Um, and there was a f- few anorexics or like people who identified as, you know, struggling with anorexia and it just was a really incredible family. So OA, therapy, the workbook, those were really super helpful things for me um for the binges did you know obviously did continue doesn't happen overnight but I think the binges continued I would say maybe for like another year year and or no I would say maybe like another two years into recovery but it became less and less and basically what had happened was the more I dove into my recovery journey, the more tools I learned how to cope with um, negative feelings. So it's basically, it's not like food that's the issue. It was my inability or my lack of tools in my fucking toolbox of how to deal with like big feelings that I'd be having. Like I really struggle with depression. And then the second runner up for that would be anxiety. Um, And, you know, things were still kind of unstable in my life which caused a lot of anxiety and I didn't know how to healthily cope with those feelings so the more I recovered the more I learned um, things like journaling or or things like don't internalize just even just you know I had a really hard time being vulnerable and like sharing my feelings with my friends and stuff like that But it was like even sharing a little bit, Aisha, like you don't have to go into like every detail, but like, why don't you just explain like one sentence of how you're feeling to someone who you know is a safe space for you? Oftentimes for me, it would be a friend. It was very rarely a family member for me. Um, Just like one sentence or like, you know, little, little ways to acknowledge the sadness acknowledge the depression and that like really helps me I it was like exposure therapy like I was able to like state certain things to like a friend like I'm actually really really upset about this and they were a safe space they held space and it was exposure therapy in the sense that I saw that I could share my you know negative feelings without like the world exploding or without it like super upsetting someone else like you know, that is like a whole nother deep dive into codependency, the whole like, I'm okay if you're okay. Um, but I recognize like, oh my God, like I can share these things. And, you know, as long as that person is in a space to like hear it and be there for me, like it's okay. Like I could totally share that. I'm like feeling super down or whatever. And that helped me isolate less. And that helped me not want to binge as much. Like I would really self-isolate during like my depressive episodes and um over time as I you know learned tools uh I started meditating more I personally got into like tarot reading that was really nice um I also if you're stubborn you can use that to your advantage because I also got stubborn I was like oh my god the binges aren't fucking helping me 
and after I realized like how I was learn uh, using the binges, it was like a the ridiculous spell from Harry Potter. It was like in that moment I realized like this isn't helping me, and my, I was able to like channel my stubbornness to be like, no, like I don't want to do this anymore. Um, that was also something that helped me during recovery, seeing firsthand that there were others that was also very healing opening up about it and hearing from friends who I went to high school with who I worked with at Mark Fisher Fitness who I went to college with you know reach out and be like hey this is actually something that I struggle with too that was so fucking healing too you're never alone you know you're never alone the world is too vast patterns are too relevant like if you're experiencing, you know, some type of a pattern, whether it be binge eating or, you know, whatever addiction, honey bunny, there's someone else out there. Like, I fucking promise you. And anyway, having that exposure to like people who I knew personally open up um, who were like, yeah, and, and I and I would purge or like I didn't purge either. And it was just like that healing through community. That was also massive. Dismantling what my body should look like and like coming to terms. I mean, I'm lucky that also the body positivity era was kind of bubbling around, you know, when I was in my recovery. I grew up like very muscular and just like a thicker girl. Like I signed up for karate in 1995, 1999. I was four. I was training six days a week, two hours a day for 11 years. And then I was on the track team and the swim team. And I I was 14 the first time I had a gym membership. Like I love training, like compulsive exercise aside. I fucking love it. Like I literally was thinking this just yesterday. Even if I had the body of my dreams, I will still be training like three to four times a week just because it's my acts as an antidepressant for me. It's it's my me time. It helps with like my anger. Like it's just fucking cathartic. But um, coming to body piece of like, listen, do I want to gain 10 pounds over, you know, winter? No. But if it happens, I um, in therapy, like we talked so much about how like bodies are malleable. Like if if you put on weight that, you know, you don't like you, it can change. And I'm not pushing that. But it was so therapeutic to realize that like, hey, bodies are malleable. Like maybe right now you're recovering into a body that you don't want to be in and it's okay. It's okay. They're different. And like just we're all different. And recognizing that like the beauty standards, like (laughs) not only were they like really hard to attain for most of us, but like just from an anatomical and physiological perspective are impossible for a lot of us. You know, learning things like that, that was also very healing for me. Listening to podcasts like this or looking up like vlogs on YouTube of other people talking about their journey, other people giving recovery tips, reading blogs about, you know, the same thing. Um, That was super helpful in my recovery too. So my pillars for recovery was the food addiction recovery workbook going to Overeaters Anonymous, therapy, um, little by little openly talking about it in safe spaces and hearing, reading, watching other people talk about their journeys online. Those were like my five pillars. 
And, you know, if you can only do two or want like anything is better than nothing. And if you're listening to this and you identify with it, I just want to fucking hold your heart for a second and remind you, you are a human and the human experience is a very emotional one. And we don't live in a society where emotions are, you know, where we're necessarily taught how to cope with them. And they are there no matter what. Whether you sweep them under the rug or not, they are there. So they will need to be dealt with in one way or another. So it makes sense that you leaned on something like food or plug in whatever, shopping, drugs, alcohol. It makes total fucking sense. You are totally, totally normal. You are normal. You are normal. And one more time, you are fucking normal to be a person with feelings like total sense makes total sense so you know i hope um this podcast episode brought light to you um i hope it wasn't too overwhelming and in the event that it was overwhelming it's okay it's totally okay give yourself some time to process um please reach out to me if you're just curious on like where do i start i mean i'll probably say therapy or oa um, but I'm someone who you can talk to, um, not as a replacement for therapy. I just mean like who can help you with resources and I just, I can't stress enough how normal you are and that this isn't bad at all and that recovery is possible. So getting into that, I cannot believe it i remember when i first started my recovery journey i was talking to someone who was like four years older than me like in their like late 20s and who was recovered and you know gave me terrible advice like told me they willed their way through no 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 no. i remember when they said that to me that they willed their way through i remember saying to my that is when i said to myself i will never recover from this I just was like this is my life i will be binging till the day i die i will be have fucking no control over myself with fucking food like it is what it is and it's just not the case i cannot believe it i cannot stress it enough i i just i don't really have binges anymore now when i'm experiencing negative feelings listen sometimes do i reach for the cabinet yeah like i'll have like a snacking you know episode but it won't be until i'm sick and also it's just so rare now now when i'm experiencing a negative feeling i do not fight it i radically accept it i feel it and i let it come up and then i let it come out so you know talking about it writing it down getting it to flow somewhere is better than nothing So yeah, where I'm at today, um, like I always say I'm recovering because that's a part of like the 12 step model. Like you always want to say like you're recovering unless they change it. I don't know. I haven't been there in a while, but you always want to say you're recovering just because like relapse does happen, which is, you know, totally normal. But um, binges have become so irrelevant in my life. Like, I can't, I'm done even recording this episode, but like, I can't even stop saying it. Like, they've really become so irrelevant in my life. And like, I'll still have episodes of overeating, but like, I genuinely do not remember the last time I ate until I felt sick. Oh, also another really good um, resource is Precision Nutrition. They kind of give you tips on like, you know, let's say you're like having a cookie or like a cupcake. 
um, they'll give you tips like cutting it up into four pieces so that like your brain can perceive that like you've had more bites. It like helps you slow down. Um, so Precision Nutrition has a lot of free blogs as well. That's an incredible, 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 incredible resource. I had the honor of um, meeting uh, the doctor who, um, you know, is basically behind that entire uh business he was at a convention a fitness convention in orlando florida that i got to go to a few years ago he is a fantastic fucking person like so empathetic and just so in touch with how you know things like sugar addiction or food addiction um like really is not our fault and touch like getting into that for a really quick commercial break um, a lot of foods and a lot of snacks are actually genetically engineered in laboratories to be as satisfying to the human physiology as possible. So for those of you who are like, yeah, once I start snacking, I can't stop. That's usually why. Like Doritos will engineer a crunch that is as satisfying to your brain as possible. Or like Hershey's when you break the chocolate that uh, when you break a like a piece of chocolate in half, like that thump that you hear, these things are all genetically engineered um, and, and even the marketing. So like one thing that I heard on a nutrition podcast a while ago was, um, for example, like Oreos will take a color scheme from like, let's say they're targeting a certain age group. So let's say my age group, like mid to late, early to late 20s. Let's just park it there. They'll... Um, get they'll take colors from like the most popular cartoon of our time so let's say like for example spongebob and they'll take that color scheme and they'll put it in an oreos commercial like the marketers will put it in an oreos commercial and it'll trigger like a sense of nostalgia and happiness and home and like dopamine within you but you don't know why and then when you're in the market and you pass oreos you're reminded of like that nostalgic inner cozy feeling and you throw it in your cart so, you know, that's like, there's just so much to fucking deep dive about this shit. But I hope this episode was helpful. Um, let me know how you guys are doing. Email me, humanexperiencepodcast.gmail.com. The A and the human is an X. Email me. Let me know what's good. Okay, ciao for now. Bye.